like we always do about this time. For this example, again, we all have 100 IQ. For some of you, I'm giving you some. For some, I'm taking away some. We all know nobody can have 10 times our IQ. Well, then why the hell do people make 10 times more than we do, a thousand times more than we do? Why? Because they think and dream bigger than we do. High performance people have high expectations, not average expectations. Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast, the boss is back. And she is none other than Kate Gray, who's the founder and CEO of Boss Bitch Business. And I can't wait to ask her about the name. Now, Kate is considered one of the top female entrepreneurs and leaders in Australia. Her work has been embraced by entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, and thought leaders from the USA, UK, Europe, and Australia. Now, Kate has spent over a decade studying and being a student of high performance in sports, life, and business, personal development, metaphysics, mysticism, and ancient wisdom. Now, in 2017, after a lifetime of being an entrepreneur, she founded a company called Ancient Awakening with zero capital. And in 2019, it became a seven-figure business. Now, over a one-year period from 2018 to 19, the total revenue of the company grew by 800%. To reach this revenue goal, Kate did not invest a single cent in marketing. It's amazing. Now, the entire company was built using her unique organic marketing strategies and marketing talent, which she now teaches to entrepreneurs all over the world. Kate, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the One Broken Cog podcast. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm so, so, so stoked to be here. You know, I am as well. And I got to say, listen, congrats. ACDC number one album of 2020. Couldn't have come at a better time as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Right. You know, I saw their last live concert um, before Brian um, Johnson retired. Yeah, now he's back. Is he back? Oh, thank you. absolutely back. And he sounds better I didn't even know. Really? How's his hearing? I didn't realize that. Oh, my gosh. Apparently, yeah. Where, you know, he... Had that issue, and then Axl Rose came in, which I thought was horrible. I didn't think it was a good fit at all. Same. Agreed. Yeah, Terrible. they had to have their touring commitments, so you know, don't want to let the fans down. But Brian, it came back naturally. He sounds amazing. I mean, they did a song called Through the Mists of Time, which was a tribute to Malcolm Young. And oh. the album is – it's basically a lot of ideas that Malcolm had. Mm-hmm. They used those – unfinished songs and turn it into this album power up and it's unbelievable great record i'm so excited thank you i've i think i've had my head in the entrepreneurial sand i'm gonna go and look that up when we finish (laughs) well it gives you some great energy to crush i'll tell you that now i gotta ask you kate you Mm -hmm. are from australia you're native to australia Mm -hmm. what is up with all those nude beaches out there is that like a a normal (laughs) thing or is it just something u.s is obsessed with when we go over there and just seek them out are they everywhere is is this uh the exception of the rule yeah, I think that maybe it's just what we market to the US. So you guys come here because I didn't even know there were that many. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tourism technique. Yeah, so I guess if you want to find an American in Australia, just hit the nude beaches, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, Kate, I got to so say that, you know, you have an incredible story of redemption. I mean, at one point, from what I understand, as you hit rock bottom, would love to talk about how that happened. And of course, we'll talk about how you were able to rise up out of that, overcome it, and become the success that you are today. Yeah, I would love that. I'm, I'm happy to share. You just tell me what you want me to share, and I'm I'm all about it. No, for sure. Now I know at one point you were actually homeless and mm-hmm. you know addicted to drugs. And I, you know, would love to find out what happened, what led you to that situation. 
Yeah, such a good question. So what led me to the situation of living on the street and having I had a methamphetamine addiction. So, you know, it just went straight to the hard stuff. Didn't, 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 you know, dance around the issue of having an addiction, went straight in there. Uh, my dad and I had a very tumultuous relationship growing up and I suffered from emotional and psychological abuse. I never felt like I was good enough. I was always looking to fill the void of self-worth externally. And I think when somebody has that, I guess, whole of, of emptiness inside of themselves, when they can't find connection from within and they seek it from without and they have daddy issues like I did, um, what happens is often they fall into addiction. And so I started in the party scene and then it got worse when my dad got diagnosed with cancer. I, I went worse and worse. But then when I came home, I, I got on the streets, um, got a call from my mum. You know, dad's really unwell. He's in palliative care. My mum paid for my ticket back from New Zealand because I'd found my way to New Zealand, of course. You'd have probably just, I don't know, got on a tour plane or something and got there. Um, found my way to New Zealand. Mum rang me, said, you know, dad's in palliative care. Like, you've really got to come back. She paid for me to come back. And then I spent the next 12 months, my dad lasted another 12 months after that, really getting to know him and healing our relationship. And I was still addicted to, to meth. I was still addicted to actually other any sort of drug that made me feel like I was whole and complete through that 12 months. But the moment he died, um, I was sitting there holding his hand. Um, I kind of had this realization, which I think we all know as human beings unconsciously, but it slapped me in the face of that, well, I'm going out this way too. And watching somebody take their last breath that you love and care about really is a mirror of accountability for yourself. And so that is what got me to then turn my life around. Wow. And I know being addicted to meth is extremely hard to break. It's really hard to overcome. Mm -hmm. How did you do this? Was it a very tough process? It was tough. Um, like I, I don't I just want to start this with saying I don't advocate anyone else go out and do this because I was a little bit of a cowboy, which is just my technique. It's my technique as an entrepreneur as well. Uh, I did try all of the institutionalized ways to overcome my addiction, but I found none of them actually worked for me. And when my dad died, I decided to go to university. And when I went to, you know, I don't know why, it seems like a really good solution when you have a drug problem. I don't, I was quite functioning. I was a functional drug addict. There's many of, many of them. And I studied Buddhist philosophy and psychology. And I started to read the works of Dr. Timothy Leary and Dr. Richard Alpert, who later was known as Ramdas. And from that, I started to realize that my addiction was actually just a symptom of disconnection and that if I could learn to connect with myself without something outside of myself, then I could cure it. And so after trying like different things like our version of Narcotics Anonymous, counselling, psychotherapy, cognitive behavioural therapy, NLP, hypnosis, after trying all those things and none of them being successful, I'd always relapse. I then started a meditation practice which sounds kind of like wooey, but that combined with working with um, a few little psychedelics in a, in a microdosing sense, I believe I invented microdosing because this was 17 years ago. <laughs> 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 it's, it's not true. I'm sure I didn't, but I'm claiming it. Huh. Um, that, al that allowed me to kind of reconnect with myself and, and look at my own trauma and my own creation of disconnection. And then I really fully healed my relationship with my father after, you know, he'd passed, but I was able to come into complete forgiveness through using psychedelic 
um, therapy, um, self, self-treated. And I would like to say that it is illegal. I did break the law. Um, so I'm not recommending anybody break the law. I always have to say this because <laughs> someone's going to go out and then blame me. I just know it. Um, and using that a meditation practice and, and reading different texts, like that's when my, my love of metaphysics started. And that was really over time what helped me overcome it. That's great. That's great. Now, when you're in New Zealand, did you ever drink out of the shoe like they do over there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't do that. Damn it. Next time when it's not illegal to leave my country and I, oh, actually, I think I can go to New Zealand. I just can't come over to you guys. Yeah. You can add that to your bucket list, right? <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> you know, I always find it fascinating that so many issues that women are facing can be traced back or can be attributed to the relationship with their father. Isn't that unbelievable? It is. It's such an important relationship. And I really don't believe that um, our society has a support system where it teaches men how to be fathers for women. So it is, you know, it's really challenging. And that's why I think it's so common for that to to happen, the issues to occur. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I just read something. I was talking to somebody offline and uh, I happened to read. He had mentioned that he just got married. He went through a divorce. And I said, you know, I read something from somebody that said, Uh, 90% of divorces can be blamed on the woman. Uh, What do you think about that? Well, oh, are we going to go into the gender discussion? This is great. I love this. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. I'm actually, I don't know if, if like maybe blaming anyone is necessarily constructive way. However, I do think that, um, you know, women have been fed for a really long time, a martyr story. Uh, around victimhood and that we're disadvantaged, which I personally don't subscribe to. I see being a woman as like my edge. I don't see that I'm less than or more than anyone. I just see it as an opportunity that often if I'm in a boardroom or if I'm on a panel speaking at an event, I'm generally the only woman. So for me, I'm like, wow, what a selling point. I'm the only woman here. I never go in thinking I'm disadvantaged or the world owes me a favour or um there's any sort of like victimhood in me at all so if we if we strip it back to the fact that we're many women are unconsciously running a program of I'm disadvantaged because I'm a woman so if that's the unconscious program running when they come to relationships because they already have this um, unconscious programming of being disadvantaged it's only going to spill over into a relationship now Men may well have their own thing as well. I don't know. I'm not a man. But that it could be true that I think they're just as responsible as the men. I don't know if I'd go as far as 90%. Unless someone give me stats, then I'm all about it. Go show me the statistics. Have you seen the documentary, The Red Pill? It's a very good documentary. I have not. Yeah, I've, I've only it's about the, the men's blue, rights I've seen movement. The blue pill, not the red pill. No, the blue, okay. I'm kidding. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> the blue pill. I'm like, hang on. I haven't seen that. <laughs> it's a red pill is about um, the men's rights movement. And, and what it did is, yeah, I, it's funny when I started watching it, I was so deeply triggered because my conditioning was that I have been disadvantaged as a woman, right? I was very much in that ideology, but then as this documentary unfolded and the woman presented the statistics, she showed that, that men and women are are equally disadvantaged and advantaged. And specifically in the the family court system and the judicial system, you know, men are, I think, 
uh, something like 80% more likely to get like double the length of sentences as women. You know, they're, they got, they're definitely, when they go into the family court system, they have way less of a chance of winning custody of their children. Like they're just as disadvantaged. Um, it's just that we're taught in the, the mainstream narrative that that's not the case. And so it really did change my model of the world when it came to the, I guess, the, the roles of, of gender and men and women. Mm. It was quite quite a pivotal moment in my life, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you could probably attribute that to the traditional family makeup, right? I mean, it's I guess traditionally in the past the men goes out to work, you know, hunter gatherer, yeah, type, you know, framework. So they mm-hmm. they probably feel that in the court system that the mother would be better off taking care of that child full time while the man is at work. But of course, the dynamic has changed since that point. Um, and yeah. you know, of course have to look at how much crime do men commit versus women to see about the sentencing. But, uh, you know, well, you've got to, they go into it, go and watch it. They go into it. I don't know. Remember the statistics, but they, they actually have taken that into account when they, when they do the stats. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. Well, I know I have to give you credit. You got yourself out of this unbelievable hole and you rose up like a Phoenix from the ashes and started your own business. And not only started, I mean, you really kicked the door down. How did you do that? What was the first step that you took in the decision-making to start your own business and become an entrepreneur? Great question. Like the first step was me realizing I'm unemployable <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like not a good employee. In fact, if I had me as an employee, I would fire me. I'm terrible. Um, and realizing that anything where I felt like I was boxed in, including having a job, making somebody else rich, I felt constricted. I don't, I didn't like rules. My inner rebel was the thing that went, you know what, I'm just going to go and make myself rich. Screw making someone else rich. And I didn't know actually what I was going to do. And the first business I started, which was a bricks and mortar business, it was, it hit high six figures. It was a, a fitness business. I had boot camps across the Gold Coast here in Australia. And it was great. I was one of the first people that actually did um, Facebook advertising eight years ago in that industry in this area. And so I learned so much and it was super successful. But then I kind of like got bored of it because I realized that, you know, chasing the ideal body, although I really do believe in health, um, but chasing the ideal body and letting that be the driver is actually such an extrinsic driver that it just ends up with us being unhappy anyway. And then I closed that down and went, well, what would I do for free? And that was when Ancient Awakening was born because I would have done that for free. And that was bringing back in my love of working with psychedelic medicines um, and then all the ontological work, like the inner work, the metaphysical work, the Buddhist work, the mindfulness work. I brought all that back in and I ran retreats all over the world in countries where psychedelics are legal. Um, so I wasn't breaking the law. <laughs> um, and then that's that's why it boomed, I think, because I loved it. And I, any entrepreneur listening to this, you you know, you can love business and if you love business first and it's it, it's your passion, then I think you have more flexibility and range in what kind of business you can have because you're just in it for the business. But for me, that didn't work. Like I have to do something that I love. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when your clients are on psychedelic drugs, is it easier for them to take their wallets out and hand over money? To you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that was, you know, that's what for sure. Yeah, that's how we <laughs> sold every, we upsold them on ayahuasca day. <laughs> Open up your mind and your wallet, right? It's like a, it's a yeah, line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, money doesn't belong to you. There is no time. It's all one mind. It's all one wallet. Yeah, no, There you go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I have to say we have many entrepreneurs who, you know, are financially bootstrapped. They're just like you. The pandemic hit. They were laid off or they're thinking, you know, I need to make a move. What would you say to them? What advice would you give them? 
to start a business like you did with zero capital, or does it really depend on the industry that they're in? I think it, it's, I was in the service-based industry and I think that's sometimes a lot easier to start with zero capital. Like if you're in like drop shipping or something, you're going to need some level of money. Um, also the service-based industry, organic campaigns and strategies work really well for, particularly if you're like a solopreneur and you're the one giving the service because, you know, relationships are currency. And then that's basically what I did as I sold through intimacy and connection and but if you're a product-based business, it's probably going to be a bit harder, if probably yeah. impossible, maybe not. I don't know. Um, hmm. Yeah. What, what, what advice would I give them? Well, buckle up and strap in because it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. And just let go of this concept of perfection and just stay in momentum and keep trying strategies from a place of, of really being geared for long-term success, not short-term wins, because I did that and it was a really big mistake. I lost a lot of money just playing short-term games. Look, mm. long-term strategy, stay in momentum, realize it's going to be hard. Everything you get is just data. It's just information. It's not the end of the world. It's not good. It's not bad. Take the information, adapt, and keep moving forward. That's it. That's it. And eventually it, it will fit. The person who wins is the person who stays at it the longest. So if you can stay at it the longest, you will win eventually. No, I like that. It's great advice. Now, what do you think about mindset as far as starting a business? Maybe you want to explain what an entrepreneur mindset is and how important it is when starting a business. Yeah, great question. Um, I believe that entrepreneurship is literally 90% mindset, 10% strategy. Um, an entrepreneurial mindset, it, I mean, it, it's going to manifest differently in each individual person. However, there are some common things I've seen in each person. One is tenacity and the ability to, to go, excuse the expression, balls to the wall and to keep going no matter what. Like if you're an entrepreneur, you must be willing to keep stepping forward even if everybody's telling you, one, you're wrong, two, it won't work, you're crap, you're shit. If they all hate you, you've still got to have the tenacity to keep going forward. That's one quality. Second quality is kind of crosses over that, but it's resilience. You know, when your whole world is falling apart as an entrepreneur and you're online and you're your brand, sure, you want to have some level of vulnerability, but you can't go into a martyr story. You can't be a victim. You have to keep smiling. You have to be like Miss America and straighten your damn crown, smile, wipe the tears off your eyes and keep walking. <laughs> so you have to be resilient. It's really important. If you're not resilient, you won't last. And Dan Pena I'm a fan. Everyone, a lot of people oh, hate wow. him. That's cool. I love him. He absolutely is so inappropriate and also has so much wisdom. He's so wise. If you can get through the vagina cream, um, <laughs> the um, statements yeah. he makes every three Running sentences. down the mama's leg, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's right. Like you can't be soft. Like there's too many snowflakes. We have developed a culture of snowflakes and I fully agree with him. And so resilience is really, really important. Um, and then the third one that I think is I've seen in every entrepreneur and, and myself is the ability to go first. Often great ideas and great businesses are born because the person has the courage to go first. Leaders go first. Those who are super successful often first to market or they're in a market, but then they start thinking a little differently and they sway it another way and they take it another way, but they're the first to do that. So you have to have the courage to go first as an entrepreneur if you want to leave a legacy and be uber successful. There you go. You know, you're the first woman I've ever met that enjoys Dan Pena. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, I actually, I think he's hilarious. Yeah. I took his snowflake test and I actually passed. So I have that. Uh, did you? Um, I did. Yeah. 
and a super successful well done. whatever thing. Yeah. So I took both of those and uh, I actually did it on a big screen in front of people so they could see that I'm not fudging the results. So legends. So, yeah, no, that's fantastic. There you go. So I'm not a snowflake. I'm the complete opposite. Yahoo! Good. That's why we're getting along. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now, Kate, question. Now, real quick before we talk about your new business. Now, in your other business, you had mentioned you were trying to help yourself and others achieve a better body, right? Physical presence. Yeah. Is, is that because you wanted more confidence or is it to please others? Mm, okay, let me rewind my mindset to that time in my life. I think probably it was a confidence thing. Um, but like, I mean, this was like 10 years ago. So it's, I was a different person back then. And there definitely would have been remnants of wanting to please others as well. And thinking if I looked a certain way, then I would be accepted by society. That's definitely, you know, women get a rough trot when it comes to judgment of our appearance from ourselves and from the mainstream world. So definitely there was elements of that. Nice. No, I appreciate the answer. Now your new business is triple B, right? Boss bitch business. Um, That's it. What does the name represent? Why, why the name? We'd love to hear the story behind this. Yeah, it's a great story. So, well, there's a lot of people talking about Boss Babes, which is like super, um, you know, it's a little bit more vanilla and I'm not very vanilla. And every every industry I've ever got into, I've gone in and I've kind of been the dark horse in the industry. I'm a big fan. I don't know if you know much about spirituality and it doesn't really matter if you don't, but there's a goddess called Kali and she's a goddess of destruction to to creation and she's my favorite goddess so I was like I want something that stands out but also pushes people's buttons and I'm really big on polarization market most people think marketing is about attracting the right customer I believe marketing is about polarizing it's actually about repelling the customers you don't want and I knew in that name if somebody was a snowflake or they were too concerned about being politically correct then they weren't going to like that name or even if they were triggered, if they would have the right mindset for me, if they were willing to look into why we called it that. And the reason we called it that is because, one, we wanted to get attention. Marketing is the art of getting and holding attention. Two is because we believe that it's just a word. Like, and, it, and because we believe it's just a word, we can then reclaim that word and switch it into something that means important empowerment and being powerful not something that's derogatory but anyone who is going to get caught up on the word and have a cry about it is not even going to make it into our funnel which is perfect so then we're only going to have a funnel full of people that aren't snowflakes there you go now have women been offended by this name or has it been okay both men and women <laughs> it's not wow. just being women <laughs> what, have you, what are some of the good comments you've received about this um some of the like ones that have been offended yeah or yeah, just that, um, you know, oh, you don't have to be a bitch to be a boss, um, you know, um, or, you know, it's a little bit um, derogatory. M mainly it's derogatory or you're saying you're implying that people need to be a bitch to be a good boss or to be successful. And and to, in all fairness, the people that have shared this, like that's a summarization of the comments, are outside of our ideal market anyway. Our ideal market, when we tested this name, they loved it. They were all about it. So we did do a wide market test and those who are our ideal clients loved it. But those outside of the scope, like of the older generation um, and some of them that are more kind of left-wing um, in the feminist movement weren't fans. Really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, do you yeah. respond to those people or you just let it go? 
No, I just, I give the explanation about how it's about claiming back a word because ultimately a word is a word. Like it's, it's benign. We get to choose. There's a Kantian theory that I studied in university and it's that the, the meaning of the word is in the listener. You know, it, it's in the, the person receiving the word. And so we're, we're wanting to allow people who receive that word as empowerment to come with us so we can support them. But those who are going to receive it as insulting aren't going to come with us. But we explain that to them. And then most of them have actually then, a couple of them, if I'm honest, signed up. <laughs> so, <There you> go. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So we do respond. We do give that that um, explanation. And others are like, oh, yeah, now you've explained it. It makes sense. And then others have been just like not responded back. So, oh, well. Oh, well, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, I know you're committed to helping female entrepreneurs scale their businesses and make more profit, more money. Why only help women? Is it because women need more help and the men are taken care of? What do you think? Um, well, so it's funny. Most of my clients like leading up to this, it was always a f- maybe like 70% split on the, the male side, but I always have 70% male clients. The reason why is I saw my fellow women, um, you know, 2% of, of women hit seven figures in revenue. Um, and I think when it, ter- it goes into specific like getting funding and joint ventures um, and capital, about 2% of women receive the capital as well. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, what is this? And then I started looking at the programming we have as women is that, you know, we've been told that we're not going to get equal opportunity, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, I'm going to help the women because I don't subscribe to that ideology. I am agreeing it's real for some people. It's real for some people because they believe it. I just choose not to believe it. I choose to see it as an advantage. I presuppose everyone will love me. And if I'm if I'm on a panel of all men, fantastic, I'll stand out. And therefore, I have more opportunity to make more impact because what I'm saying is really going to be listened to if I can be a master at what I'm doing. So I want to help other women do the same because if we actually help the women change their psychology around this, we then impact the family unit. If we impact the family unit, it then spreads out to the men anyway. So that's the premise behind it. There you go. I love it. Now, as far as marketing goes, you know, we have a lot of people that say, listen, there's too much confusion in the marketplace. Everybody has their own perspective on marketing. Every company says that they have the magic bullet versus the competition. How important is marketing to a business? It's essential. No, no marketing, no money, no business. Um, I think it gets a little convoluted, uh, although... I'm not very, I'm not a black and white person in the sense, I think everything can work providing the person who is executing it believes it can work. It comes down to the person driving the ship really. Um, Yeah, no, absolutely. It's essential. I don't really, I'm just trying to think if I have like, I think they're all great. I'm like a marketing, like I can't, I download everyone. I jump into everyone's funnels. I watch everybody's webinars. Like I am just constantly consuming everybody's marketing techniques because I find it fascinating. So it's essential. Without it, we don't have revenue, period. Yeah, no, I believe so. Now, what do you think is the best marketing strategy for 2021? I know we're early in, but where do you see that trend moving? Clubhouse. (laughs) Get on Clubhouse. Um, it's good. Yeah. Clubhouse is fantastic. It's using the same psychological principles as um, OnlyFans. So OnlyFans is just all of a sudden everyone's got a bloody OnlyFans. I don't. I would like to point out, not planning on getting one. No. Um, but no, no. <laughs> How about you? Are you going to get one? <laughs> well, I heard it was um, only for it's, it's mostly adult stuff, right? Yeah. Well, some fit. I think it's like fitness people have them and they might just do their workouts in a bikini. It's not necessarily like 
<laughs> not all sex. It's just you get to see more of the person. You could have an OnlyFans like reality show version like Kim Kardashian, but you could put it in the OnlyFans model where you just take people on your daily stuff. That may work. But anyway, it's it's got that dope. They, they keep you in a dopamine loop in OnlyFans and Clubhouse does the same thing. So I think the strategies for 2021 is finding a way to, one, keep your potential customer in a dopamine loop because that'll keep them intrigued enough to make decisions that move them towards what's right for them, whether it's not buying your stuff or buying your stuff. You only want to move someone towards buying your stuff if it's right for them. But we're in an in a industry where there's information overload. So if you cannot keep someone in a dopamine loop, you don't really have a huge amount of chance of keeping them interested enough in your funnel to buy from you if it's right for them. So dopamine loops, number one. Um, num- number two is making sure that we still really focus on intimacy intimacy is being lost a lot through big corporations using um you know you ring up now and it's a bloody computer it's a robot talking to you rather than a real person um even on the banks in australia you've got to like literally wait 20 minutes before you can speak to a real person before you go through all of the ai robot person operator talking to you if we can come back to intimacy keep people in the dopamine loop we're going to be able to have a much higher opportunity to nurture them into being customers. And then whatever strategy you choose to use, providing it's right for your business model, you're fine. Like it doesn't actually matter. The strategy is not important. What's important is that you keep them in the dopamine loop and you you make sure that there's some level of intimacy where they feel seen and heard. And then additionally, you need a strategy where you have marketing that suits all buying styles. So you have funnels set up and strategies and campaigns set up that suits the slow buyer, the fast buyer, the emotional buyer, the intellectual buyer. If you can do all three of those things, you will nail it. That's awesome. I love it. Now, do you constantly have to evolve as a marketing pro or can you rely on tried and true techniques? Meaning can you use the same strategy in one industry as the next? Such a good question. I'm going to just like start this answer with, I could probably give you a different answer on a different day, depending on what's current in my own marketing. <laughs> 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 I think this is a malleable response, but try to true methods absolutely work. Like look at Seth Godin's like principles, the psychology of what makes somebody buy, makes somebody buy, right? We go through the interest phase and then we've got to demonstrate to them that, you know, we've got that we have the the goods for their um, for their so, the solution to their problem. And then we do have to take somebody through a, a buying process, which is universal, universal regardless of the industry. That doesn't change. But then how you do that will change from industry to industry. You want to be always pioneering and to be always ahead because the industry in marketing, uh, online marketing, digital, it doesn't matter. The industries, all industries are getting convoluted and busy and noisy. So if you're not ahead of the game, if you're not thinking ahead to get new ways to get people's attention using the traditional principles of the the psychology buying process, you're in trouble, I believe. People have got the the attention span of gnats right now. No, they really do. And on that note, what do you think as far as organic marketing versus paid marketing which one's more effective or again, does that depend? It depends on the size of your business, um, what you offer. Everything should be tested organically first anyway, I believe. I, I strictly are speaking in service-based businesses because my specialty is working with service-based entrepreneurs. Um, 
you want to test things organically. The biggest mistake I see people make in service-based industries, well, there's two of them actually. One is they don't test things organically before they pay. And two, they go and hire an agency before they actually haven't nailed down their own advertising. So unless you're spending $10,000 a month and all the agencies are going to hate me right now, I don't care. (laughs) You shouldn't be hiring an agency because pre that, if you don't have consistent data on actually what works for your market and what doesn't, you're going to waste a lot of money on them testing it for you plus paying them to set it all up and run it. So just do it first on your own. No, that's great advice. Now, is marketing universal or do the strategies need to change for different regions like Australia or the US? I think they do kind of change actually. It's funny, like we run ads in the US and Australia and like what is what gets clicked on in the US is different to what gets clicked on in Australia. Um, so in the US, like my advertising is very um, Dan, like I'm really claiming my own brilliance and really going hard with like how we can actually help people, which is the truth. But in Australia, we have to really back that down because we have a thing here called tall poppy syndrome. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Um, but it's where Australians are conditioned culturally that if anyone's successful, they kind of just want to bag them out and pick pick, pick on them and cut them down, hence the tall poppy name, like cut down the tall poppy. So the way that we actually write our copy specifically is different in Australia than the US. Wow, that's, that's great. It's great to know. I was always wondering about that. Now, where do your clients get it wrong in regards to marketing? What were they struggling with before they turned to you? They generally don't spend enough time actually understanding the psychology of their customer. That's like, if you get that right from the beginning, everything else becomes easy. It's the lead domino. Most um, particularly like service-based entrepreneurs go in thinking that their brand is about how they think that they should look when actually your brand is how you're perceived by your market. The market always decides. If you don't spend enough time actually understanding the buying psychology of your market, the market will decide that you're not a right fit. And what I mean by that is most people think that um, marketing and the branding of their business is based on how they project that out into the world, the image they project when actually it's about how you're being perceived. It's perception over projection. And when we actually spend enough time in understanding the nuances of our customers, we can very much collapse time in how long it takes our business to hit that five, six, seven figure a month bracket. But we have to take the time in the beginning. And it goes down to even understanding the unconscious messaging through the imagery, the colors that you're using in your videos, um, the, the symbols you're using in your logo. Like what is it actually being perceived as? Because some people come to me and they're like, oh, my brand's all about freedom. And then we actually go and test it with the market and their brand, the market thinks their brand's all about like working too much, hustling too hard, and nobody wants to buy from them because they think that they're going to build another prison for themselves and their business when really they're trying to project that they're they're teaching people to make more money without working harder. But there's a complete miscommunication. So if they can get that first, like get that right first, everything else becomes easy. I love that. So you take care of the foundation first and then everything organically just becomes much better. It falls into place. Now, yes. Kate, I know I got to give you a lot of credit. I mean, over that year period from 18 to 19, you grew the revenue of your business by 800%. How did you do it? What do you attribute that to? It's going to sound so lame. I wish I could give like a really great answer. Like, I don't know, the heavens opened up and angels came down or something. But 
actually it was just Facebook challenges and nurturing a Facebook group of around about, it varied 1,200 to 2,000 people. Everything I did was through Facebook challenges. So sorry, Russell, Tony and Dean, I got there before you because <laughs> I've only just started doing them. <laughs> Um, that's literally it. Like I drove traffic into a Facebook group organically through targeted content that was being perceived by my niche as their solution to their problem. I made sure it ticked the boxes of everybody's buying style, put them into a group. I nurtured them in the group, ran challenges, um, around about every two months. And then the call to action from the challenge would be, if you want to continue working with me at my at my retreat, if you want to dive into this further, um, book a call with me. So I would just do a ch- five-day challenge or a three-day challenge. I found anything longer than that, I, it didn't work. And that's it, really. That That's literally it. That was my strategy. That's awesome. I love it. It worked. It worked well for you. You know, you wrote it till the it's- wheels fall off. I love that. What do you think as far as, let's say, a business owner says, hey, you are a marketing pro in your opinion if i wanted to come up with like a mascot or the face of my business for online would you say a fuzzy cute animal or a very hot looking woman would resonate more earn a more response (laughs) they're both good clickbait it depends on your market right it really depends on your market like if and what you're selling but ultimately sex does sell um it's just an age or it's an age-old adage it hasn't changed but if you're market, if you're marketing to academic feminists, maybe the fluffy animal. There you go. Okay, it's been <laughs> awesome. Any last words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? Um, firstly, I want to say thank you, Brian. I love what you do, and I'm so stoked to be on here. It's been so much fun. And and secondly, to the audience, thank you for for listening and and me ramble on about stuff. And just here's the thing: like, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. I want you to write that down in your journal, put it on your mirror. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. And what I mean by that is that if this is meant to happen. It's 100% your responsibility to make it happen. No one else's, not the external climate of the government, not the money in your bank, not whether you're getting your um, your payments from the government or whether your clients are angry or whether the market's not responding. None of that is why you're not succeeding. It's because you're not willing to take responsibility for it. Take responsibility for it. Write it down. If it's meant to be, it's up to me and the rest will happen. I love it. And all the dads out there, hug your kids. Tell them you love them, right? Nurture those yes. relationships. Yes, nurture those relationships, dads. Your your role in your child's life is more important than you could ever possibly imagine. Absolutely. Now, Kate, very last question. It's just a personal question. Just to get to know you a little bit better now. You're going to yeah. be retired, very successful on your own private island, and you can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? Oh, um, that is freaking a great question. Album? Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> that would be thy name. Yep. Yep. Um, one movie. Oh, good question. I don't really watch movies. Could I take a TV show? If it was a TV show, it'd be Altered Carbon. Sure. Um, or okay. the Star Wars. Man, that is a yeah. great show. Joel Kinnaman. What a great actor, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All, all, all the Star Wars, um, tr- like the whole Star Wars collection. I'll take that. Um, and then book, You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Nice. Man, what a great answer. I got to say, what's your favorite track from that Number of the Beast? Um, Run to the Hills. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Okay. I love it. That is fantastic. Kate, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our time together. How can our audience get in touch with you, learn more, utilize your services and connect with you? 
For sure. They can find me on YouTube. I drop heaps of great content, Kate C. Gray, or they can follow me on um, at Boss Bitch Business School on Instagram where I put a I basically content, the content goes for days on my stories. I show my whole day every day. So come along, get some really exclusive personal content. And then they can find me on Facebook at Boss B Business School. It's a free Facebook group. Come in and join and we'll see them in there. Kate, fantastic. Have an awesome rest of the week. Let's stay in touch and definitely keep up the good work. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Bye. You too. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line. 